If you've ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, Shopify, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so that the deposit amounts match the bank statement. Did you know you could be using Cinder to automatically do this for you? Stay tuned to hear from our sponsor, Cinder, later in the episode. Here's a disclaimer at the bottom. Collective Hub Inc. is not a law or financial firm. We do not provide legal or financial services or advice. We provide self-help tools for your convenience. They're not even saying that they provide services. When I had my firm, we, we weren't a CPA firm, but we said we provided accounting services because we could. They're not even saying they provide accounting services. They're just saying we provide self-help tools. <laughs> Here's a PDF on how to save $25,000 in your taxes. And then we have all the links to all the software packages and, and the uh, incorporation forms on LegalZoom for you to accomplish this. Today is Friday, May 14th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. So David, the CDC has issued new guidance that now vaccinated podcasters can take off their masks when they are recording remotely via Zencaster. This is why we don't have masks on. Well, it's good to see you. Um, you as well. Recording a day early. You're going out of town. I'm going to Sedona for a couple nights. Find a vortex, perhaps. Get in touch with my my true inner self. I hear that's what people do in Sedona. Along I with it's it's like the vibrations, right, or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, walk around barefoot a lot too to ground yourself. And then there's the influencers. So I I have to go to this arch and take a picture for our Instagram, I think, if I really want to call myself an influencer. Oh, okay. You know yeah, that? That's right. Because you have to go to all these hidden treasures and prove yeah. you're there. <laughs> it's like that pink wall in LA, right? There's a pink brick wall in LA and everybody goes there to take their Instagram photo. That's right. So there's all the spots. Uh, I'll probably hit up one of them. But I'm excited to be here today talking with you, David, about all the latest accounting and technology news. And I have a bit of good news, perhaps. And what's that? The average starting salary for new accounting grads is projected to be $58,508 this year. That is up 10.9% from last year. Wow. So accounting uh, accounting industry professions starting salaries have jumped 11% over last year. So I guess that's good news for accounting grads. Hard news for folks who are trying to hire accounting grads, I suppose. Or firm owners, it's going to be. Yes, firm owners. Your your cost just got 10% higher. Yeah. Because that that ripples through, right? Like if you have to hire people at 10% higher, all your other employees are going to be expecting 10% bumps and raise pay as well. Like your whole payroll just went up 10%. Well, and here's how this ties into tech, because the more salaries rise and the faster they rise, the more incentive there is for firms to put technology into place to reduce the number of people they need. So so basically, this is going to be a trend, right? We don't have enough people entering accounting. We've talked about this lots over the years we've been doing this show. Maybe not recently, but it's it's continuing. It is getting worse. Tech is the only solution. You can't just keep hiring people and paying them more to do the same kind of work. Well, I have good news for those accounting grads. They could actually get an extra $500 and an extra $25 a month. How's that? You could actually do this too as well, Blake. So there's a startup. There's a startup called Argyle. And what they do is they're trying to access people's payroll data. You go to 
Argyle site. So they had, they, had, they actually ran an ad and they basically promising you $500 if you provide them your username and password for your payroll system. So let's say you're being paid by OnPay or Gusto or ADP or whoever it is. You, Blake, as the new accounting hire, give them your username and password so they can go read your payroll data. And if you keep, are you sure this isn't some Russian hacker no. group? So this article, this article is actually, um, it was on uh, Brian Krebs, Krebs on security. Uh huh. And so, which is very focused on security, hacking, you know, fraudulent behaviors, and privacy. And so, essentially, Argyle is trying to play up this. It's good for people, right? Because right now it's not fair. Uh, if you have multiple gig jobs and you try to get a loan at a bank, there's no easy way to like show your total income. So it's a little tied to this. And they're trying to play that it's a little bit of a, a fair shot. Now, what's... Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so I'm sorry. Okay, I have to roll okay, you roll back, back here for a second. Because I don't understand what the hell Argyle does. So they're paying me to go put in my login to my employer's payroll so now I can read all your information about your paycheck data. And now I could basically sell that to the banks who are trying to give loans. I could use that for a bajillion things, right? Um, what's interesting about this, when I built View My Paycheck out in two years ago, I always wanted to build that as a service. Build, build what? Uh, a service that goes gets all your paycheck data. So you can see it all in one spot. Because what happened is I remember at that time, Intuit was with ADP. And actually, I think I'm going through that right now. Auto entry was with ADP. I'm no longer an employee that's using ADP. I can't log in and access my pay stubs. If I didn't download them within like 90 days of quitting, you can't log into those systems and get your pay stubs. So I always thought like from a, a person who wants to keep their pay stubs tracked somewhere, it'd be convenient if you could have a site that just harvested all your pay stubs. But I always envision it for yourself. I never thought like, oh, this would be a great business model to harvest everybody's pay stubs and sell it to the banks, right? And so there's just a lot of uh, privacy concerns and things like that. This is a long read article. It'll be in the show notes if people are interested in this. And then there's a related story kind of Rails, R-A-I-L-Z. They raised $12 million for, towards their API development. And what basically what their promise is, they are going to allow... Um, one API to access customers' accounting data. So they're going to connect to the QuickBooks and the Zeros and the Sages and all the accounting systems and then sell an API access to the banks or other fintechs, but basically the banks. It's a say, you know, for data for loans and, and those types of things. But they're trying to say that because of what they're doing is instead of just connecting to the data, they're categorizing the data. They're going to uh offer insights and uh, bundle it together with categories and pass that along to the bank. So basically the, the theme here is, right, is people are coming after your data. So this is like what Cabbage does now, but it's not, Cabbage is also the lender. So Rails is creating the process or the way to get the data and passing it along to the bank so that they can offer these loans to these companies. Yeah. So they're an API for this type of instant lending. And I, there's no way like QuickBooks or Zero are going to let this go because they want the relationships with the banks. If there's money to be made off the QuickBooks user data or the Zero user data, don't you think Intuit and Zero would make want to make the money and not let a third party get in the middle? They control the data. They can profit from it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't allow these this kind of company to connect. But then, then you go back to the payroll companies. If you're Gusto, why don't you sell the payroll data to the banks? Why let this other company... Come in, Argyle, take the employee data. Well, they can just they can shut them down. They can force single sign on on the employees. They can stop 
They think this is, yeah, this is that's the problem. Fine. All you have to do is implement single sign-on and it shuts all these apps down. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Uh, so, so I think you had a story about cabbage, right? They've been under investigation. Yeah. So cabbage, um, a lot of the FinTech lenders are now, I know I'm bringing up, we're going to talk about PPP again. So a lot of the FinTech lenders are (laughs) under investigation, um, from the justice department. Cause they got into PPP because all their regular lending opportunities dried up because a lot of these businesses that were taking on these short-term loans went out of business or they weren't. And Cabbage was one of those, ready right? To go, right? And so what happened is these, the fintech players really took on a huge amount of loans super fast. And so they're concerned that basically Cabbage and they helped push loans through that maybe shouldn't have gotten through, right? And so I think they're investigating now, was it on purpose? Were they careless on purpose? Did they do due diligence, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and the stat they really brought up is the fact that- And who's they in here? I missed that. U.S. Department of Justice. The U.S. Department of Justice is, is investigating because fintechs of all the loan issuers were only about 1%. But in the no, number of total cash value of loans processed, they were uh, more than 19% of all the loans. That makes sense because they completely automated it. They automated it, right? So the volume yeah. that went through was completely, but which may also make sense because if they did the most loans or from a volume perspective, they're probably going to have a lot more fraudulent loans. Right. But the investigation is, is like, did they do as good of diligence as the banks? Well, did they do the required diligence, right? Because the actual diligence was pretty low that was required by the SBA. Because everything, obviously, the, the size of the loan you got was the information you provided to the lender. And if they didn't verify, I know that when I did it, I did a small local Tucson lender for my PPP loan. And it was a little bit of hoop jumping. Everybody was like, oh, use cabbage. It was easy. Like, maybe I should have uh, went down a different path. <laughs> This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. So David, there's another accounting firm with engineers that just raised millions and millions of dollars from Silicon Valley venture capital firms. And this one has another big name. Remember, we talked about Pilot getting personal investment from Jeff Bezos. Just Bezos, yep. Collective, well, they don't call themselves an accounting firm, but they are. Collective just raised $20 million in a Series A, and their headline investor is Ashton Kutcher. 
this makes sense. Remember we saw Ashton at QuickBooks Connect. He got all excited about bookkeeping. It really? Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Was that in 2019? Yes, that was one of the last conference hurrahs we had. So what is Collective? You can check out their website, collective.com. They are a online back office platform designed for self-employed people. And they focus exclusively on freelancers and helping those freelancers set up S-corporations, hooking them up with the software that they need to do the accounting and the payroll for their S-corporation. So they get a QuickBooks subscription, they get a Gusto account, they get quarterly tax advice and tax planning all through a very slick interface that looks a lot like Gusto. And it's all for $200 a month. All right. So while Pilot is going on the, they're over here on the front end going after startups. Like it's pretty clear Pilot say, hey, we're going after startups and we're providing CFO services and the full and tax services, like the whole thing. These guys are like, hey, we're going after the teeniest of teeniest, the freelancers. And instead of the freelancers having to go get QuickBooks and Gusto and LegalZoom and all this stuff together, you know, to incorporate and do all this on their own, they're having one platform and you incorporate, you do they do that for a bank account as well? I'm probably, or if they don't, they probably will. They're going to, um, I, I think they help you get set up with the bank account. That's part of it. And now is they'll this, help you set up your retirement plan. Now, is this a, a real platform or is this just a front end? And on the back, they're really using QuickBooks and Gusto and LegalZoom and all these other services because LegalZoom's an investor. I saw somebody from LegalZoom right. invested or is on their board. HoneyBook's involved. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's a front end and all this stuff's on the back end. So, so they are got, definitely an accounting firm. It's on the back end. They have bookkeepers and people doing all the work. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that it's it's not totally clear to me what they do, but they I don't believe they actually do the bookkeeping for you. So they set up these freelancers with all of the apps and then help them use it and manage it through this portal. And so this is where I wonder about how successful this is going to be long-term because Collective just launched in September of 2020 and they raised... $20 million now in a Series A. So they haven't even gone through a full year live. And my question is going to be, well, at the end of the year, when it comes time for all of these freelancers to file their taxes, did they actually do the bookkeeping? Did they actually do it well? What What is actually going to happen when tax season rolls around next year? And And it's not really clear how many customers they have or how many clients they have right now. There was a funny bit in one of the blog posts. They said, Collective has grown eightfold since our seed. Nearly 20,000 amazing founders have applied for membership. And most importantly, we have saved our average member over 16,000 annually in taxes by taking care of everything from business incorporation to accounting and tax services all in one platform. I thought the 20,000 amazing founders have applied for membership was a funny bit because to me, that's heavy spin around 20,000 people have filled out the contact form on our website. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the thing is, even that tax advice thing right now is if you if 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 they have freelancers and they do the like hire your kid tax credit thing where you get to we don't pay social security you don't pay Medicare you don't have federal income tax and you pay, like that comes out that's about the sixteen thousand dollars so they could be giving that one piece of tax advice out and saying the average user like just that one piece of advice they hire they get well, they get all their clients to hire their child so I don't think that's it because they don't mention that anywhere what it, what it sounds like it is is you know they're they're taking advantage of the S corp, uh, pay yourself a reasonable salary, whatever that is, and then take the rest as dividends and avoid the self-employment tax on the difference. And I was talking with a listener, Michael Eckstein, 
EA, Enrolled Agent, on LinkedIn, and we were going back and forth on this. Like, he knows the numbers way better than I do as a tax person. So I was curious, where are they getting these savings? Michael says that he thinks they're being really aggressive. They or that they must be taking somewhat aggressive positions on S corps and reasonable compensation in order to deliver that kind of savings. Now, granted, most of the people they're working with right now are probably very high earning freelancers, software people, tech people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year is what I would imagine. So let's say you're a tech San Francisco tech freelancer, you could make two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year as a freelancer. So so, so they're going you pay for yourself it. so. So this goes back to like, in order for these types of things to scale and work properly, you really have to narrow down on who you're doing this for. And so they're not really doing my Grubhub driver. They're really like, oh, you're 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 a marketing contractor. You have two gigs a year, and they each pay you 100 grand a piece. And you have, they say you have your two clients, and that's who they're considering freelancers. Like, like they have a, it's a specific niche they're going for. Yes, and well, that's how they've that's how they've grown fast and been successful. And this makes a lot of sense to me. You can deliver. $16,000 average savings when somebody makes that much money and when you as a semi accounting firm are willing to take a very aggressive position on reasonable compensation, probably because in your terms of service, you've pushed all the risk back onto the user. And and you look at their footers and they, they're very careful about what they say, that they are not an accounting firm. They don't do financial services. They are just, uh, what, what was the term? It's really good, actually. Here's a disclaimer at the bottom. Collective Hub Inc. is not a law or financial firm. We do not provide legal or financial services or advice. We provide self-help tools for your convenience. They're not even saying that they provide services. When I had my firm, we, we weren't a CPA firm, but we said we provided accounting services because we could. They're not even saying they provide accounting services. They're just saying we provide self-help tools. <laughs> Here's a PDF on how to save $25,000 in your taxes. And then we have all the links to all the software packages and, and the uh, incorporation forms on LegalZoom for you to accomplish this. So chances are they're, they're basically advising people while they're, they're providing the tools, the self-help tools for highly compensated freelancers to underpay themselves reasonable compensation and take a very high risk. And so Michael Eckstein, who I was talking to about all this, he said he'd be curious if the IRS takes a look at collective what might happen because that would be a honeypot of potential you know people who had pushed the envelope too far and they could go capture a lot of you know revenue by taking these guys to tax court and saying you didn't pay yourself reasonable compensation you owe us on all of that if collective gets too big and too successful uh, then this could be a problem for them so how many, how what did you say they claim their current customers are how many they have or did they not say that well, they said that they've had 20,000 people apply, Okay, which to me, and they, they call it a membership, right? You're a member of Collective, okay, which is just brilliant, brilliant marketing, right? So, I, I mean, how many could they possibly have? Maybe a few okay. thousand let's at just most? Say, let's give them credit. Let's say they have the 20,000. Let's just give them that. <laughs> let's no just way, say that. Let's just okay, say that, sure. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. If you ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, Shopify, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks Online or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so that the deposit amounts match the bank statements so you can reconcile. In just two clicks, Cinder automatically and accurately categorizes and posts these transactions into the accounting system. 
Sooner can sync all the necessary details like inventory items, tax, shipping, discounts, classes, locations, including multi-currency transactions. It even correctly handles the processor fees. With tools like duplicate detector and rollback functions, you can rest assured that your client's books will never get messed up because you can undo and restore any sync data with literally one click. Importing historical payment data from Excel and other platforms make it easy to onboard new clients. And if you ever need support, Cinder offers free help using one of your favorite means of communications, be it chat, email, or phone. To book a free demo of Cinder and to level up your e-commerce business accounting, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. Easy accounting for e-commerce businesses with Cinder. Another story, there's a banking app, Lily. They've raised $55 million to help freelancers tackle expenses and then access credit cards. Lily, who basically is probably going for the lower end of the freelance market, they have 600,000 customers now on their app. And what does their app do? So this is, this, this, this is an online bank, you know, mobile bank on your phone that does expense tracking. It helps you, you know, connections to get loans if you need a loan geared towards the... Mm the gig worker and the freelancer. And they I mean, most of their customers actually right now are women, um, but they're all gig workers in the United States. They have 600,000 customers wow. on this banking app. So so I guess my question about Collective to wrap this up is, yeah. they've raised all this money to go get more freelancers. But I wonder how many freelancers are there out there who can actually take advantage of the whole S-Corp strategy and save enough money for this to all work, right? Because the the cost of collective is like $200 a month. So they've got to be able to deliver at least that in tax savings in order to attract users. And when I lived in California, you know, I, I would ask CPAs, how much money do you need to make to actually benefit from having an S corporation and all the administrative headache and costs, the $800 per year fee, the taxes, the corporate tax return, the bookkeeping, how much do you need to make in order for that to be beneficial compared to just being a sole proprietor? And so some people I, would- I, Yeah, no, I question the whole, like you see, all these apps keep coming up and they're chasing the freelancers, right? And it's easy, right? It, it's yeah. cash-based, bank feed accounting. They have one bank account. Usually they just have their personal account and you're, you know, it's, that's a personal account. That's a business expense, right? It's, it's easy kind of from a bookkeeper's perspective, but I don't, and then this maybe is a good transition. We should go into app news and talk about real accounting software packages with real businesses. Cause I think there's indications in the Intuit numbers uh, that were announced a couple weeks ago. We have, you know, zeros numbers that came out and this, this chase of like the cheapest ones, you have to get them all to win that, I think, right? So yeah. like, well, you, you got to get all the gig workers to really turn this into a business. But let's, let's jump well, in and they're transition just, to and they, news then. Most freelancers do not make enough money to even want to pay $10 a month for something, right? It's really oh, yeah. hard. What's QuickBooks self-employed? $9 a month. Right. So, yeah. so Collective really is only going to be for the top 1% of freelancers, let's say. Maybe it's a few more percent than that, but you know, there's not a lot of freelancers that make six figures out there. Yeah, and they might as well just call it like six figure freelancer bookkeeping.com, <laughs> right? And and yeah. like because that's why and that's why they're probably making this feel exclusive and you're yeah. part of a club and like because they know that's going to keep the other people out, right? The average Uber driver or somebody out of it. But I do think it is a good model. And I think a lot of accounting firms 
should look at this website, look at collective.com and look at the packaging because it's really clear what you get for that price. And for certain clients, this is really desirable, I think, to know that all of this is, yeah. Out of the box, QuickBooks, everybody, like you go to QuickBooks or you start your business, like everything should be there. You get to incorporate, you get to this, you get your bank account. Like why do you have to go to 50 websites to do all this? It's crazy. We've been talking about this for two years. Like you should be able to do this, not just for freelancers, but across the board. So it's a good business. Is it a business that deserves venture capital investment? That remains to be seen. But we can, as accountants, we can copy a lot of what they're doing and benefit from that too. So well, you can um, just spin up the same thing, a website with all these FAQ. Oh yeah, just copy it. Just copy. And then yeah. set up affiliate links with LegalZoom and everybody else. <laughs> and then when they click the link, you get paid. Yeah. But, and you don't need a slick interface to do this. You could just do this texting with your clients and manage it all for them on the back end. So anyway. Want to jump into app news and what were we zero numbers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we're already in app news. So yeah, let's, um, let's hit on the zero financial results. I pulled up their highlights page. Should we just run through some of the top? Yeah, absolutely. Top line numbers here. Um, so it's, it's, it's good. Like given that there was a pandemic year, these are fantastic results. And I think we expected this, David. You said that Intuit has always done really well during recessions compared to other industries. I've, I've always felt Intuit. I mean, I, when I was at Intuit, we went through three, right? Uh, you had the dot-com 1.0 2008. And then I think there was another goofiness. Oh, web 1.0.bubble2, right? But so these three things happen. And every time it didn't really affect Intuit because A, people always have to pay taxes. But then B, when people can't get jobs, they start businesses. And if you're you you know if if you're an essential item, let's say QuickBooks or Zero, you're gonna always have new customers coming in. That totally makes sense, and so we I think we're seeing that in the zero numbers too. Operating revenue eight hundred forty eight point eight million dollars. That's up eighteen percent year over year. Subscribers two point seven four one million. And here's the number that really matters. Annualized monthly recurring revenue. This is the number you care about in a subscription business because it's based on your current subscribers this month. What are you going to make every year as long as you keep them? $963.6 million, So almost a billion dollars a year in recurring revenue. Divided by what's about what? $2.75 million? Yeah. So you take their subscribers, right? $2.741 million. Uh, divide the annualized recurring revenue by that and you get it's about 350 360 depending i, I rounded up to a th- to 1 billion in 2.75 so about 350 360 there somewhere in there that and that makes sense right because year. that's about 30 bucks a month which is what zero their standard plan i think is here in the US so so this is this is making sense what is really interesting is the subscriber lifetime value that increased a lot, $7.6 billion. So lifetime value is you you take that annualized recurring revenue for each customer and you multiply it by however long you think you're going to keep them. So in a SaaS business, maybe that's five to 10 years. And so then that's that's the value of your subscribers. And it's funny because you know in accounting, we don't put that on the balance sheet, but that's an asset, right? In, in the subscription economy, that is a humongous asset. That zero has built up there. So, so here's the other thing: um, their their actual profit is it's positive, right? They're making money, but it's very small. But you wouldn't know from traditional accounting if you looked at a business like zero. You think, oh my god, their their net income's like two or three percent. Like that's that's like 
grocery store margins, right? It's not very good, but it's actually really good when you look at it from the standpoint of their subscriber lifetime value. And that goes to them having, I'm not going to say freelancers aren't real businesses, but like there's that, that tipping point. Like you said, although most freelancers aren't making $30,000, they're not going to be able to take advantage of these tax loopholes to collect his offering. Right. And so, but like a lot of the businesses that are on zero or QuickBooks are just for lack of better terms, I don't I'm pretty creative right now, but real businesses, right? They're, they're real businesses, probably doing way more volume. They're taking advantage of the other services Zero's offering, right? And same thing mm-hmm. with Intuit. And I think I saw something, uh, an article about Intuit, and I don't know where it's at, unfortunately. So I'm going to summarize it. I know I read it. But the gist of it is Intuit gets basically half the revenue from small businesses. In theory, small businesses suffered this year. We, we talked about those Facebook articles, the amount of businesses that folded, but Intuit's numbers, just like zeros, were strong. And it's because of all these add-on services. So, that, so the businesses that survived just buy more services, right? And that's that lifetime value. And that's why zero is seeing that same type of effect. It's coming through in that, that lifetime value. So then you look at, do you get lifetime value like that from freelancers? Is that going to be there? So that's why that makes me think time oh, is like, back to the freelancers. Like right. so many, everybody's chasing the freelancers, but I think the real money's in the real businesses. I, I would, I think so too, because often freelancers will just do it for a little while and then they'll get a full-time job offer and they'll go do that. I don't know a lot of people who have stayed freelancers for their whole career, right? That's not a super common thing or even more than a few years. I don't know. Well, I'd be curious to know the numbers. Has- QuickBooks has their QuickBooks self-employed product, right? That's geared towards gig workers. It's 10 bucks a month or whatever, right? But that product and that data doesn't even convert to QuickBooks because in theory, none of those people, you can't just be an Uber driver and then turn into a real business where you need to get an EIN and have to start a set of books over. So there's no there's no migration path. And then at most, how much is Intuit going to get out of those people other than 10 bucks a month? They can't sell them payroll. They can't sell them a loan product. And the gig economy, I think, is distorting all of these freelancer numbers. And these are the numbers that Collective is bragging about in their press release, which is, you know, the the freelance economy is growing. It's going to be 50% of all people by the 2030 or something. I don't know the exact numbers, but they're talking Intuit about crazy, put out crazy numbers. numbers like that back in the day before, too. I remember. Yeah. But that's so just because somebody's a gig worker and they get 1099 doesn't mean that they're like a business. Or a freelancer. Like there are elements of it, obviously, but to me, that's, you know what I'm talking about? They're just an employee with a different yeah. business structure. They don't yes. really, they're not really a business. They're not sending you invoices. And maybe it's an employee that gets to track or deduct some vehicle expenses or gas expenses that maybe a lot of W 2 employees can't track because they're just, yeah, the type of works different, their categorization is different. But, it, but the lifetime value, I just can't imagine there's a lot of squeeze there the way. QuickBooks and Zero are squeezing that lifetime value out of the real businesses because they exactly. can offer them well, a bunch of other services that cost a lot of money. And stable businesses, once they survive those first few years, tend to stick around. The ones who have a few employees and have got a stable you know, customer base, like they don't go away uh, as, as quickly as freelancers. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. Do your clients use banks that make it harder for you to close the books? Do they make it harder to deliver financial visibility for clients? I'm guessing you said yes to both these questions. And that's because traditional banks aren't designed for your relationships with your small business clients. Thankfully, Relay Financial is. 
Really is FDIC insured online banking that makes bookkeeping easy. You can access all your clients in a single portal, enjoy rich direct bank feeds to QuickBooks Online and Zero, automate payables with multi-stage approvals, and even spin up a new checking account for clients in seconds right from your browser. To join the thousands of accounting and bookkeeping firms that are standardizing their clients on Relay, check out their partner program at cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. Uh, so let's move on to another funding announcement. I was really excited to see that Relay Financial raised $19.4 million. This is the digital online bank started by Yosef West, who used to be over at HubDoc. And he was at HubDoc. And it's been awesome like to see this because, you know, I remember meeting him when he was just like one of their first employees over there. And now look at what he has accomplished. I got early access to Relay back when he had to basically set it up for me. You couldn't sign up on the website at all. There wasn't even a place to capture your email address. He's like, do you want to try it out? And I tried it out. But what's interesting about Relay, he's attacking this from the point of view of the accountant first. So if you're an accountant or bookkeeper, like it's always a pain in the ass to work with your clients' banks. Most banks suck at working with you as the account or bookkeeper. Oh yeah. But you can set this up, sign up, and now if your client needs a bank account, it's very easy for it to spin up. Oh, then maybe they need a second account to track your PPP loan. It's like three clicks. Boom, you set up a new bank account. Um, so it's all set up about user access and permissions. Maybe you have to have work with a nonprofit and a bunch of people need read-only access to the bank account. You just invite them. It works like but there's just yeah. It, it, it works like, like quick, a software. Package. It works like QuickBooks or Zero, but it's a bank account. So we we just set up a Relay account for the Cloud Accounting Podcast because I, I wanted to try it out, and so I you you know I, I set it up for myself from scratch. And what's funny is that I also just set up another entity for myself, and I did that through Bank of America. So I, in very close proximity, had the experience of going through a traditional giant bank and Relay and setting up those accounts. Setting up a bank account with B of A in a pandemic was a Kafka-esque experience, to say the least. And I think it took like two months to get it done. And they they sent me a debit card, but they sent it to the wrong address and and then I couldn't actually set up online banking without the debit card, and they couldn't give me the number on on the phone, and it was it was ridiculous. And you know, a company like RelayFi comes along and figures out how to do it in like ten minutes. Well, because they solved it from the user experience, not the bank the bank sales guy's experience. I went to, when I started my company after I left into it. First Chase wouldn't even open a bank account for me. So that's how I wound up at BBVA. And at the time, I was trying to find a small business bank to set up online. And it just really wasn't convenient. You couldn't do it. But now we're at a time you can. And this kind of goes back to this freelancers and Lily, right? I know we are like question like, why chase the freelancers? But at the same time, those freelancers, those gig workers, they're not going to get an appointment at the bank to set up a bank account. No. There's not. But if they can get an app on their phone and set up a bank account from their couch in the afternoon, Easy peasy, right? And so that's basically really is doing that for small businesses. And I'm surprised that other copies of Relay haven't popped up already. Like you, we, you were talked about last week about the Divis and the Brexes and the Ramps and the Team Pay and the um, Airbase, like all these instant credit card type things. I'm surprised a bunch of knockoffs of Relay haven't popped up already. 
because it just ma- it's so it, it makes so much sense to do it this way. I wonder if it's because banking is so regulated that it's really hard to do fintech around banking, and all of the banking startups have been really on the consumer side so far. It's like Relay's the one on the on the business side. Yeah, because all these freelance ones are arguably consumer. Yeah, like this is really like they're not going after the freelancers. This is going for people that have a real business with multiple the need for multiple accounts, with the need for uh, working together with your accountant, right? They're going after, in a way, people that have lifetime value. Yeah. So I think this is a longer play, but I think it has a ton of potential. And I was really excited to see in the blog post that they talked about building more integrations as being one of the things they're going to spend this money on. They have direct bank feeds into Zero and QuickBooks online. They also have AP automation in their banking workflow, so they'll pull your bills and let you pay, which I think is really neat. And it's something that's hard to get with Zero, which is why I appreciate it. But if they can build more integrations, then that's the real pain point with working with banks a lot of the time. It's just you can't integrate easily with anything and get the data. So there's a lot there. And one thing that they did right versus a lot of these other, because I can even compare this to Divi. Um, Divi will sync and send data to QuickBooks. But Divi isn't recognized kind of as a bank or financial institution, so you can't pull down the bank feed. So even though I have Divi syncing banks, syncing transactions to QuickBooks Online, I have to go to Divi and manually download the QBO export file and then import that to the banking screen to do my matching. Relay, because he understands the accountant use case, right? When he started this, he made sure that A, it connects at the API level, and B, it's in the bank feeds as well. Yeah, like it's because there's a lot of people that like they only connect to the API, but then they don't have the the bank feed. There's other people that only have the bank feed, and be nice if they sent you know some data they have in their app through the API. And like you have to, he just did it right because he understands the market. He understands his space. That's where I did it right. Uh, I guess before we jump out of these app news, we talked about you know lifetime value, all the great numbers at zero, you know, and and into a little bit lifetime value. Sage profits fell thirty percent. Wow. Sage is a massive company. Any ideas to what led that? A lot of it is they've sold entities. You know, they they have outsourced divisions. A lot of it is just cost of doing business. But what the only good part that they have is their organic recurring revenue grew by four four point four percent because of software subscription sales rising to eleven percent. So it's probably Sage intact. You know, it, it it's again the people saving them are the. Lifetime revenue people, the real businesses, right, right, that are subscribing and paying month over month over month. But you said it was like four percent. I mean, that's that's it is. It's a lot smaller than what QuickBooks and Zero are doing. Yeah, they're right? growing like twenty to thirty percent annually with that. Interesting. So, so I, maybe you know this could be basically the accelerated demise of on-prem, right? Which is a lot of the Sage business at this point still. Makes sense. It's hard. How do you sell? How do you sell an on-premises ERP system when everybody's working at home? It must have just been bad, a bad time for those sales reps this past year. And, and I mean, I guess from a business perspective, you know, if, if CH has all these divisions, and really pretty much the set, and we've talked about this before, the the SaaS Sage Intact part is the only part that's really the savior here. Like, at what when does it become the point where they just stop those other ones and just like we're doubling down on the winner. Right. And they just start to pull back from these other platforms that they're chasing that are just aren't getting traction and maybe, maybe make a Sage Intact Junior, right? Or whatever you want, something like that. Um so the problem with this is it's it's um 
in order to switch a traditional business model to a subscription business model, it's it's really hard, and it, it it will take your business will take a short term hit because you're giving up on this revenue you've had for all these years. And Tian Zuo talks about this in his book Subscribed, right, which is fantastic reading for anyone who wants to build a subscription revenue business. And I think in this book, I think it's in this book, he uses the case study of Adobe as an example of a company that successfully pivoted from selling software for hundreds of dollars, and they would create a new version every year, and you'd have to like buy the new one or decide if you're going to stay on the old one. It was the old QuickBooks desktop model of you know selling software. And they switched to subscription only, and they took a short-term hit. They had to manage shareholder expectations, and they successfully did so. And now they are doing incredibly well. But it takes a lot of guts to do that and a lot of leadership. And you got to be willing to take a short-term hit for a few quarters while the market tries to figure out what you're doing. Because traditional financial statements do not appropriately represent what is happening when a business converts to a subscription model. And, and it's a huge, like you said, it takes a lot of leadership. I know um, I've had discussions with uh, Shafat at BQE Core. When they bu- finally built BQE Core, their cloud app, he just stops on the desktop app. Yeah. It takes so much courage to make a decision like that, to do that. Um, I know I've talked to uh, at, at LivePlan, I've talked to Sabrina Parsons about this. When they moved from their des- old desktop software that was like 25, 30 years old to their SaaS model, they basically, she said, they had to replace all their product managers and all their engineers over a th- three-year period. And I think the same thing happened at Intuit. There was a time at Intuit right around 2011, 2012, 2013, where they would lay off 800 people, rehire 800 new ones, lay off 800, rehire 800. And they were transitioning people from that old desktop mindset to cloud. Either they had different engineering skills, different marketing skills. They had, they had a different mindset to let go of that old green box sale. And now Intuit Full Circle has put QuickBooks Desktop on a subscription model. And I would argue right? that like you have to s- the, the same tension exists at accounting firms when they are trying to switch from an hourly model to a fixed fee subscription-based model, the same people that you had for the hourly, not necessarily going to work in a fixed fee monthly recurring revenue type of business. And you have to rip so much out. It's super disruptive. A lot of firms just don't have the courage to do it is the problem. Or they're making so much money for so many years doing it the old way that how do you convince them they can make even more money doing it a new way? Well, they don't make the change then until you're like Sage and you have a really, really terrible year because you've been selling so much traditional, but you're way behind, right? They are way behind everyone else because of that. And on, so they, they talk about their spending plan. And basically, so this answers my question before. is like, when are they going to double down? It says that their plan is to pump cash into Sage Business Cloud Division. There you go. So. They're going to do it now. <laughs> the pandemic made everyone do it. Hey, so uh, we were speaking of on-prem in the cloud remote work. I want to touch on this story about the WeWork CEO because it really uh, pissed me off when I heard this. So I was actually watching his presentation at the Wall Street Journal Future of Everything Festival, which was in the cloud this week. And he... So you actually watched it. This happened, not just saw the yeah. tweet afterwards. You were yeah. real-time watching this. Oh, this I want your visceral reaction. Oh, well, I mean, I understand that all CEOs can be self a bit self-serving, right? You serve the company, you want the company to succeed, but I really hate it. And when... this is the CEO, this is not the founder, Adam. No, this no, the, the he's CEO. out, he's gone. Okay. So this is the new CEO of WeWork talking about the future of work. And look, I get it. You got to promote your business and everything like that. But I hate, to me, this has 
this brings back imagery of tobacco companies saying that smoking is good for you or something, right? So basically what he said that got the headline was, I'll just read the quote for you. Those who are uberly engaged with the company want to go to the office two-thirds of the time, at least. Those who are least engaged are very comfortable working from home. People are happier when they come to work. The bigger issue is, do you come to work five days a week or do you come to work three days a week? That's the bigger issue. There's no issue of not coming to a common place. So the thing he said about like the most engaged people want to come to the office and the least engaged people want to stay at home really pissed me off because I consider myself to be generally an engaged employee. And to me, it's actually the opposite in many cases that if I'm really engaged in a project and I really want to work on it, I would prefer not to be in the office because I can actually focus better. And, Mm -hmm. and this whole thing comes across as like totally self-serving and not based in any data at all. And And it had a lot of blowback, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you should have seen Twitter, you know? (laughs) The, the 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 comments are great, right? Like the tobacco one, right? I, I saw that on Twitter. That wasn't me thinking that. That was uh, that was the Twitter verse, and it's all of these comparisons to you know completely self serving lies, and and the data actually shows the opposite, right? That that employee engagement has really nothing to do with where you're located, and I want to share this article here in CFO that's exactly related to this. So I kind of sympathize with the WeWork CEO because a lot of CEOs make this mistake. They confuse engagement and camaraderie. So camaraderie is really hard to build in a remote environment. It's way easier to feel close to your coworkers, to hang out if you hang out with them, if you're going out to drinks with them after work, if you're in the office playing stupid office games or pranks on each other, I get it. Even just sitting next to somebody feels way different than being on a Zoom with them. But that's camaraderie. You can have camaraderie in an office without having engaged employees. They are not the same thing. And a great example of that would be the show The Office. Right? That, that team of people working in that uh, office were not engaged, but they had camaraderie. So what is engagement? I recommend everyone read this article called Driving Engagement in a Remote Work World by Chris McChesney on CFO.com. He says that what drives engagement is not camaraderie, It is progress and purpose. Quote, in other words, do your employees feel that they are making real progress individually or as part of a team? I call this winning. Do they feel that they're winning at something that matters? And you can win remotely together. It's all about setting goals and metrics by which you measure your progress toward those goals and doing so as a team. And you can do that in an office. You can do that at home. If you're in an office, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're doing that, that you're driving toward a common purpose. Because that's it's all management. It's not you don't have to be physically present to do that. Anyway, really annoyed me. And so it's not yeah related article in the Boston Globe. And who knows? Maybe it was seeded by the WeWork you know PR department. I don't know. Right. The title of the article is "The Hybrid Workplace Probably Won't Last," and it and it gives four reasons. And one of them I thought was interesting. There's a concept called the Allen curve. So this is in the 70s. Thomas J. Allen, he was a professor of management at MIT. They discovered that the closer you move people's desks. The um, the the communication increased exponentially. So if people's desks were like fifty meters apart, they might as well be working on different planets. But as you move the desk closer, they communicate more, which kind of probably has led to our point of everybody being too close together right. you know, in these open office plans where everybody's sitting on top of each other, like trying to find that balance. So there's that. But 
it, it proves over time, but it's also, it's got to have a diminishing effect eventually. We can't sit in each other's laps, right? Like, and my question is, is that communication productive? Just because people are talking more because you stuck them close together doesn't mean that they're actually achieving anything, right? That's the, that's the whole mistaking camaraderie for engagement and progress. Just because your people are interacting doesn't mean that they're moving forward in the right direction. Yeah. And the, the problem, this is really obviously talking about hybrid, right? And this is where, you know, if you're not in the physical office, you might be left out of promotions. You're not, you're not getting that physical yeah. interactions with people. And so you may promotions, bonuses, et cetera. You kind of get left out of those conversations because you're easy to forget about. You're just, you're Blake that shows up in a Zoom call. You're not a real person, right? You're just a, a figment. Right? So so that that I can totally buy into, but you should be able to, if you're in a hybrid environment, get enough FaceTime with the people that matter to avoid becoming that person who only lives on a Zoom call. Yeah. And trust the distance. When there's more distance, there's just less trust. It just naturally happens. Um, and then the, the effort you put in or the amount you care about that other person is just lower. Um, you don't, the other four, two things they brought up was um, sometimes working from home is just too convenient. It's just, you're, there's no, you don't have the challenge. It's, it's like not going to the gym to lift weights. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm at home. Mm, yeah, you yeah. kind of have to go to put in the work, right? Like it's called work for a reason. It's work. Right. And, and do you get challenged different? I mean, think about you go to the gym and like the person on the treadmill next to you is running a little bit faster. Well, maybe you're going to work a little bit harder. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you're, you're watching the other people work. You're getting that energy level. Like you said, the sense of accomplishment as a team. Right. And then the other one, which you've already touched on is belonging. Right. It, it, we, we're humans and we need to get those oxy, uh, cotton. Oxytocin? Not, not oxycontin. Not oxycontin. <laughs> Everybody will go back to the office. Every, just free, 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 yeah. free pills. We're hooked. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and the, sorry, there's one more you said. And it's just as such as hugging. Like we just have to be in that conferences. Like and I, maybe we're headed this way now, right? We don't have to wear our mask anymore. We get to go to conferences and hug. It's happening. So, uh, I like the analogy of the gym. Cause that actually makes me think about this and it, it is easier to work out at a gym when you're inspired by other people who are working out. So I could see that working in an office environment, sort of. I mean, it, when you're sitting at a computer, it's hard to see, you know, it's not like lifting weights. So it's a little harder to see if somebody's actually working not, or if they're just sitting there at their computer doing something else. But what would be a good analogy for this? Okay, here's how we, here's how we solve the problem. Uh, we need to be like virtual accounting firms and bookkeeping firms need to be like Peloton because Peloton has figured out how to motivate people who are at home and they do it with technology. They get you on a screen and they motivate you with metrics. So you're racing against all these other people. So, you know, you go to a gym, you see somebody else working out. Are you actually racing against them? Can you actually see how they're doing versus how you're doing? No, not necessarily. Right. So now Peloton has an advantage. So maybe that's how we need to think about it. It's it's about it's about setting up people with metrics that matter. It's very inspiring. Like like I, the the vision you're painting here is very 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 inspiring. Oh, thank you, David. I, like, that, like, that, that, like it's I, I hopefully our listeners take that. I think it's a really good way to think. This is how my employees should feel. They should feel like they're in a Peloton class. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a great analogy. But like it's super super great. We should do a webinar on this, David. We should come up with the metrics, the Peloton accounting of how firm. to make your firm. The Peloton accounting firm. Now <laughs> it could be it could be a tough sell though, because I kind of have um, saw some news and it was it was a little great. Didn't have a specific name, but you know Salesforce built a huge tower 
in San Francisco. And it's kind of a fiasco a little bit, right? As soon as it was done, pandemic hit, Salesforce said, we're not going to fill this building now, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what the one business that's going to go in and lease office space from there? An accounting firm. No, it really? didn't say who. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> the, who of all the professions are going to have their employees back in the office? Well, you know, you can't you can't manage employees if you can't see them working at their desks. Working. You know how do you how do you know that they're actually working? So, so it's the exact opposite of your model. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. I, well, I want to know, David. You got to stay on that story because I want to know which which accounting firm it is. I mean, it's probably one of the big four, yeah. right? It's got to be big four. Yeah, leasing there. That, that, a lot of that space out of that. Well, building. and you know, I would say that for the big four, remote work is very bad because uh, when you are running a low-level cult, you really need everybody to be there <laughs> in person to establish I that. Pelotoners were a cult. I thought that was a. That's a actually cult true. Well. So, so Peloton is a really good analogy because if you can create a cult of people who never see each other in person, then uh, really that's an accounting firm. Like it's a wannabe, <laughs> right? People who are willing to physically abuse themselves for the for the glory of of having the fastest time. Now, actually, I don't use Peloton, so I don't know what actually incentivizes people. I just know they have good ways of doing that. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and stuff on the TV. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking about it before I dig myself into a, a hole because it was good. If I if I go too far, it might not be good anymore. I think we should wrap up. That's all the time we have this week, David. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you. Where can they do so? I'm on all the socials, just at David Leary. And if you're on LinkedIn, say you're not a bot. I am at Blake T. Oliver. That is T as in taxes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate them. We will read it and we will read it on the air. You can also leave us a voicemail and let us know what you think about anything we've discussed on the show or anything we haven't discussed on the show. Call 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. It goes straight to voicemail. You get a couple minutes. Let us know what you think. We will listen and we will very likely play that on the air as well. Uh, Until next week, take care. Bye. All right, bye. Time for the classifieds. BKX is the community event only for bookkeeping professionals. The BKX conference hosted by the Digital Bookkeeper Association is June 22nd through the 24th in Las Vegas. This year will include keynote speaker Aaron Brockovich. Both in-person and virtual tickets are available, and as a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, you can receive 15% off when you apply the promo code CLOUD15 at checkout. All lowercase letters, that's CLOUD15. Visit bkx.com to learn more and register. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Roger Rui calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. 
I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.